Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, October 25th, 2021. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing the podcast is the Rev, Taylor Schwenk from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut. The Lord is slashing prices and Olsen must go. Just dial 1-800-SIDDLE-UP for the franchise nearest you. Uh... <laughs> Uh, Buster only. I'm in New York this morning, but later today, Taylor will be getting on a plane to Houston for the start of the World Series on Tuesday. Wow. It's it's funny, Buster. We are going to cover a World Series where your son's favorite team is in the World Series. And you know what? You always say, I don't have a favorite, this and that. I think your favorite story in baseball all year, at least since the trade deadline, has been the, the Atlanta Braves. So Braves podcast over here, your favorite team going to the World Series. How do you feel, Buster? <laughs> uh, I am excited for my son. The first, you know, I've t- talked before, my favorite teams uh, as a kid, Vikings, which actually still my favorite team, Lakers, Dodgers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and the LA Kings. And so my first championship actually happened among the teams that I rooted for when I was uh, uh, spring of 1980. I was 16 years old and the Lakers won a title. And my son is 17. And now he has a team on the verge of a championship, and he is so nervous. Oh, I bet. Like, he is unbelievably nervous. He was so excited the other day when, uh, you know, Tyler Matzik pitched through that jam against the Dodgers. But yesterday when I was asking about it, he was really nervous. Oh, I can't. I can't. I've only I've only had a championship sweat one time in my life, and I, I could not handle it. So I don't know how he's going to take this. And he's probably begging you, pick against the Braves, Buster. Pick against them. I don't know. I picked four of them in the last round, and they made it. I got to ask him that question later today. And he's a, there's a part of him that's a little bit torn. I did a couple of E60s in Carlos Correa. And during that process, at one point, I was talking with Jake in between uh, interview sessions. And Carlos was like, is that your son? And I'm like, yeah. And he grabbed the phone. He's like, Jake, what's going on? How's it going, big man? And so he's always with like Carlos Correa. So wait a second. So he likes Carlos Correa, but you're also kind of close with Freddie Freeman, which is why I make the the Buster loves the Braves joke, really. (laughs) Well, yeah, we did the E60 in the last year on uh, Freddie Freeman. Mm -hmm. And during that process, it was like, Jake, you want to pop your head in on the Zoom call? You want to say hi? No, that's okay. Oh, nervous. (laughs) That's so uh, really cool. My son, very nervous about uh, his Braves. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. The World Series, as I said, starts on Tuesday night. Some news and notes as we get started today. San Diego Padres locked in on the hiring of the Indians, Ruben Niebla, as their pitching coach. He's been a pitching assistant for the Indians, very highly respected within the organization, uh, within the industry. The thing that's a little bit weird about this, and we'll talk about this with Tim Kirchin coming up, Padres haven't hired a manager yet, and yet they seem to have pretty much locked up a pitching coach. Ali Marmol will be the next manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. He prefers to be called Ali. This is what we heard from Frank Cusimano on Channel 5 in St. Louis. Some more breaking news tonight. Just 10 days after the shocking firing of manager Mike Schild, the St. Louis Cardinals apparently have a new skipper. An official announcement is expected tomorrow, but our sports director Frank Cusimano has learned who it is, and it's not a big surprise, Frank. It's not, Mike. It's happening tomorrow at 10 a.m. I've communicated with two players who've already congratulated Ali Marmol tonight on getting the job. Marmol is an extremely likable, high-energy coach. One player said, quote, I love the guy. 
He was actually drafted by Mike Schilt out of college. He was a minor league hitting coach at age 25, a minor league manager at age 26. Marmol joined Mike Schilt's staff at age 32, and now he's the manager at age 35. I think most importantly, he will be able to navigate himself with upper management, the analytics people, and the players themselves. Much more coming up on this story on Sports Plus. Marmol was seen as a candidate essentially from the moment the news broke of Schultz firing it at age 35. Marmol is now the youngest current manager in the big leagues. He's also the first person of color to work as the Cardinals manager in over 80 years since Mike Gonzalez briefly managed the team on an interim basis, both in 1938 in 1940. Gatorade knows there are many paths to greatness. Sometimes it starts with having a goal. Sometimes you need to show a little grit. Sometimes the journey is a grind. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it because greatness starts with G. Well, this was on Friday nights in Houston. Astros, Red Sox, bottom of the eighth inning, Kyle Tucker at the plate. Ottavino checking the runner. Out at second, Alvarez. The 2-1 to Tucker is sent to left field and hit pretty well, and it is gone! That was Dan Schulman on ESPN Radio, and that pretty much wrapped up the Astros uh, heading to the World Series. Here was the final out. The 0-1, and a swing and a fly ball to left field. Michael Brantley is there, and the Houston Astros are going to the World Series. They win the final three games of this series, coming back from a two-games-to-one deficit. They win it in six. And for the third time in the last five years, the Astros are heading to the World Series. And I'll be working with Dan Schulman and Eduardo Perez and Jessica Mendoza on the World Series coverage for ESPN Radio. On Saturday, the Braves had a 4-1 to lead in the top of the seventh inning. And then the tense pressure began to build. Jackson at the belt, fires. Swing and a line drive down the left field line. Fair ball, and that one heading towards the left field corner. Taylor into score, stopping at third is Bellinger. Pollock into second, it's an RBI double, and it's 4-2, and nobody out. That was the legend, Bookshambi and ESPN Radio. Tyler Matzik came into the game, and this is what happened next. And the lefty fires. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. And Pujols retired. Out number one. Souza waits. Matzik deals. Outside corner got him looking. Steven Souza Jr. strikes out. And Tyler Matzik comes into the game and records two huge outs. How about him pumping 99 on that last strikeout? And a pitch. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. How about Matzik? Comes in and strikes out Pujols, Souza, and Betts. And the Dodgers lead two. And that put the Braves on the cusp of reaching the World Series. Here was the call in the top of the ninth inning. Two outs, bases empty. The 1-0. Swing and a ground ball left side. Swanson up with it. Spins, throws. Got him at first. And it is over. The Atlanta Braves are champions of the National League. And the Braves head back to the World Series for the first time since 1999. And the celebration on the field 
as they jump up and down behind the pitcher's mound at second base. Atlanta headed to the World Series. The defending champion Dodgers knocked out. Dave Roberts, the L.A. manager, was asked if his team ran out of gas. I hate conceding that. I just felt that we had the players that were active that could still win this series. We were ready to play through October. Uh, we just didn't get it done. But when you take hits like we took, they're still, I, I don't know. It's just, it's tough because I don't want to take anything away from the Braves. Um, they beat us in a series. We put our best foot forward. We fought and they beat us in a series. Freddie Freeman, Braves first baseman, was asked, how good does it feel to reach the World Series? This feels pretty good. I, I think this might be the definition of pure joy. It really, really is. Um, it hasn't hit me at all. I don't really know how to feel. <laughs> Usually it's, we're sitting in our locker, you know, and just like just thinking about the whole season and getting ready for next year. And, and, and we actually did it. Going from 97 losses six years ago to doing this, it's special. And to lose, in my opinion, the best player in the National League. <laughs> And we're up here going to the World Series without Ronald Cunha Jr. It's, it's, it's amazing what this team did. And remember, personally, for Freddie Freeman, the year started with him having two little boys born, one uh, with a surrogate. So quite a, quite a year for Freddie Freeman. Game one starters have been set. Framber Valdez will pitch for the Astros against the Braves. Charlie Morton, we're going to be talking about all that today and tomorrow. Taylor, what do you got? Buster, don't forget... You can listen to every game of the World Series on ESPN Radio. Very exciting stuff. Tune in for pregame coverage tomorrow. That is October 26th, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern. First pitch is at 8.08, but we got a full hour of pregame coverage on the radio for you. Also, uh, my team, the digital audio team, has been very busy recently. We have another brand new podcast to announce. It uh, launched last week, Swagoo and Perk, a new ESPN podcast led by its namesake hosts, NFL veteran and analyst Marcus Spears, Swagoo, and NBA champion and analyst Kendrick Perkins with new episodes every Tuesday morning. Spears and Perkins will be bringing listeners the latest NBA and NFL news as well as a look inside their lives careers journeys and can't miss conversations with top sports and celebrity guests that's swag and perk listen wherever you get your podcasts and last thing to note watch the nba today on espn and the espn app monday through friday 3 p.m eastern noon pacific malika andrews is at the helm she's joined by a full cast of nba experts insiders and reporters from across the country that's nba today 3 eastern noon pacific on espn the espn app or wherever you listen to your podcasts for the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. 
dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. And Tim Kirchin covers baseball for ESPN. Tim, what uh, what does that entail? You guys got any shows going on today? Yeah, we have baseball tonight uh, kind of leading into the World Series. So we have several shows this afternoon. I got to Houston a little early to make sure I could do the podcast rather than do it racing through an airport like you often do on a Monday. So I am here. I am ready to go. And this is so much better being at the site and covering the World Series last year from the cafeteria at ESPN. This is so much better. <laughs> All right. We've got the Astros and the Braves. The Astros wrapped up the American League first on Friday night. Give me some thoughts about uh, how the Astros are in, to, in terms of getting to this moment and how they stand in the World Series. Well, they're pretty darn good right now, Buster, offensively. They can score with anyone. They scored 45 two out runs so far in the postseason. That's the most by any team prior to a world series. And just when you thought their pitching was in terrible shape and it was, they, they held the Red Sox to one run in the final 26 innings of the, of the ALCS. So you got to hand it to Dusty Baker and Brent Strom and that pitching staff for keeping things together when things didn't look so good. But there's one thing we know, that Astros team is going to rake no matter who is throwing. Maybe the Red Sox staff isn't what it should be or whatever, but that was a really impressive offensive show they put on. And Jordan Alvarez, (laughs) Buster, as you know, he had more hits, seven, in the last two games of that series than the Red Sox had. He out-hit the opposition for the last two games of the LCS. That's never happened in baseball history. So I put that lineup with anybody right now. Because it's healthy and it's rolling. Is Jordan Alvarez not the twin of Freddie Freeman as a hitter, Tim? Just in terms of his approach and what he does? You know, he reminds me of so many different people, and yet I can't figure out exactly who he is. He looks like, going way back, a bigger Chili Davis to me. He looks like a smaller Willie McCovey to me. But the way that he swings the bat, the opposite field power he has, looks so much like Freddie Freeman. It's ridiculous. And for him to hang in there and get three hits off a lefty, Chris Sale, because he's able to hang in there against the lefty is really, really impressive. And we we can't forget how great his rookie year was in 2019. It was historically good. And then just because he got hurt and everything else doesn't mean he's not a great hitter still. He is, and he's the difference in that lineup when he's healthy. One of the interesting storylines in this World Series will be about Dusty Baker, not only because he's never won a World Series as a manager, Tim, but he's a free agent at year's end. And I don't have any inside knowledge. I got to believe the Astros are going to take that off the table sometime before the end of the month. What do you think? Well, I would certainly hope so. Look, I, I think he's a Hall of Fame manager right now, whether he wins the World Series or not. He's won more games than anyone 
in the history of baseball who's not won a World Series. He's he only Gene Mox won more games and be eligible. Well, only Gene Mox won more games and is not in the Hall of Fame than Dusty Baker. And yes, there's so many Dusty Baker elements here. I mean, he played obviously for the Braves. He made his major league debut. His first at bat he ever took in the big leagues was against the Astros. He was Hank Aaron's best friend. I mean, there Dusty is all over this thing. And Obviously, the Astros are going to have to say he carried us out of a very difficult situation and now has gotten us back to the World Series. I'm glad you mentioned Brent Strom. Uh, you know, there's been some talk that maybe this will be his last year uh, as pitching coach of the Astros. Maybe he's going to retire. I, I really feel like that he was such a key for their turnaround in the American League Championship Series. Tim, I, I didn't see how they could possibly beat the Red Sox the way that series was going. And yet it was clear Valdez made adjustments and Luis Garcia made adjustments in game four. Yeah, Valdez is really good buster, as we know, and he was fantastic against the Red Sox. But Brent Strom deserves a lot of credit. And I'm sorry, I'm 64 years old, buster. But when I see a manager in his 70s and a pitching coach in his 70s handling a bunch of young guys, it gives me faith. It's refreshing that we can handle young players in the game today with older voices with older sets of eyes and ears. They're very, very important in the game. We've lost track of that. And maybe the Astros are going to show everyone, look, experience really matters. And for Brent Strong to be able to get through to these guys, Dusty Baker to be able to get through to these guys, I think is a really good sign for the game. And again, I'm hopelessly biased on this. I mentioned game four for Garcia it was game six, obviously, that he pitched great the other day, had the highest velocity of his entire career. Uh, Meanwhile, the Atlanta Braves uh, beat the Dodgers the other night. And I do feel like because the Dodgers are the defending champions, and I think they were generally viewed as a favorite coming into the year and maybe even in the postseason, that people are forgetting or not seeing how good the Braves really have been since July 30th. Yeah, you've used the note several times, Buster. They've had the best record in baseball since the trade deadline. And It shows. They also won 12 out of 14 to finish the regular season. And they took the Brewers uh, apart pretty well in that series. I covered that series for radio. You know, people forget that Mike Soroka missed the entire season. And the best player, as Freddie Freeman has said, in in the National League, Ronald Acuna missed an enormous part of the season. They were under 500 for 126 days this year. But when it came time to pull it together, the Braves did. I picked the Dodgers to win that series in seven, but I'm not surprised at all that the Braves won. I got a good look at them in the LDS, and it's really impressive what they have going. Their infield defense buster is pretty darn good. And when you can have Eddie Rosario do what he did in the – in the LCS and you have Tyler Matzik, who is they're 0 for 15 against him with runners in scoring position in the postseason. It's amazing. And his story is remarkable. So the, the Braves have written or are writing a really interesting story here. We'll just see how much far farther they can go. Yeah. And, and to me, there, there's so many similarities between the teams. One, and I think you'll agree with me on this. The Braves have a better lineup than they had last year when they reach game seven of the National League Championship Series, in part because of the ascendance of Austin Riley. Um, you know, there were times during that Dodger Braves series in 2020 when, you know, you reached the bottom third of that lineup and it felt like there just weren't that going to be that many hits coming from that group. Now that lineup seems really circular. You mentioned the defense, uh, especially the infield defense for the Braves being excellent. Well, 
The Astros also have a circular lineup and they also have a great infield defense. Yeah, that's why I think this is going to be a really underrated, really good series because the two teams have a lot of similarities. They have a lot of things going for them. They're playing basically at their best right now. I think the key is just going to obviously be, can Framber Valdez be that good again? Can he do that more than once in a postseason series? I know we did one of his games last year in the playoffs, and Buster, that curveball is unhittable when he throws it right, and he can throw a ground ball double play with anyone in baseball. So if he throws like he did against the Red Sox, the Astros have a real chance to win this series. You got a favorite? I know you do because you had to turn in picks to ESPN.com like I did. Well, I haven't turned them in yet. I'm going to do that as soon as we're done. What? Yes, I I was traveling last night, all right? Um, I think the Astros will win in seven games. And if anyone actually listens to that and believes it and and writes it down, go ahead, all right? But this postseason has proven to us again that nobody knows what's going on. This is the ultimate beauty of the sport is we're always wrong about it. And I'm never going to apologize for getting a prediction wrong. That's why baseball is so great. But I'll take the Astros in seven with the understanding that anything is possible in this series. And I've got the Braves in six in this series. Yeah. Well, you can't really, that music no longer applies to my predictions anymore. Okay, Taylor? Because I actually picked the Braves correctly. So give me a little bit of credit. All right. Let's talk about the Red Sox, Tim, and what's next for them. Big decisions on the table. J.D. Martinez has to decide uh, if he's going to opt out of his contract. He's got one year left at $19.35 million. I can't imagine that he uh, would step away because I don't think anybody else is going to offer him that kind of money for a DH-type player. Uh, Kyle Schwarber said the other day, love to be back with the Red Sox. I don't know if he's necessarily a fit. Um, You know, Their top prospect, Tristan Cassis, is a first baseman. Uh, I think the only way Schwarber rejoins the team is if uh, Jamie Martinez opts out. Uh, And then, of course, they have to think about re-signing Eduardo Rodriguez. What do you see ahead for the Red Sox? Well, I'm with you on J.D. I can't imagine him getting $20 million from somebody else. And I know, and you know, how much he enjoys playing for Alex Cora and playing on that team. So my guess is he's going to not opt out and return. Um, Schwarber meant so much to that team, Buster, as you know, uh, from a personality standpoint and a production standpoint, that I think they really want him back and they should. But you're right. Where is he going to play? It's one thing to, you know, mix and match, move him around outfield, DH, first base for a couple of months and a couple of important months. But to do it for a whole year is going to be difficult. So my guess is he's going to sign somewhere else because he's going to get some money. But if the, in a perfect world, the Red Sox re-sign him because that's how much he contributed to that team in so many ways. I just don't know exactly where he's going to play. Yeah. Eduardo Rodriguez, to me, is going to be a really fascinating free agent because we certainly have seen moments, and we saw them sometimes in the postseason when he can be completely dominant. I think somebody's going to pay him really well because there are going to be a lot of teams out there looking for starting pitching. Uh, the Dodgers. Uh, Tim, you know, you and I – can remember the first year of free agency, the fall of 1976, full-on free agency. Uh, And I was thinking about this the other day. I don't think there's ever been a more accomplished class of free agents than what the Dodgers have walking out the door here uh, in the days ahead. You've got three (laughs) uh, Hall of Fame locks in the same free agent class. Clayton Kershaw, 
you know, should be unanimous election. Matt Scherzer should be unanimous election. Albert Pools should be unanimous election. You have Kenley Jansen, who at age 34 has got more work to do, but right now he's a borderline Hall of Famer. Only 12 relievers in history have more saves than he has. And four of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. Kenley has more years ahead. Chris Taylor might be a guy, uh, you know, over the weekend, uh, I was debating back and forth with some uh, uh, evaluators and some agents and asking him, what do you think Chris Taylor is going to get? The range I got was somewhere between $60 million and maybe that $96 million that uh, we saw DJ LeMahieu get. And then Corey Seager, who might turn out to be the highest paid free agent in the entire offseason. I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And I talked to a Dodger source of mine a couple of months ago about Corey Seager. And he said, God, we love him. I hope he comes back. But he said, there's only so much honey in the pot, which means I think we can expect Corey Seager to go somewhere else because they have Trey Turner. I would warn everyone, you better not let Corey Seager go without making some sort of, you know, good bid for him because that guy's really good and he's going to stay really good for many more years after that i don't know what they're going to do i mean max scherzer's going to get two years maybe three from somebody given how well he pitched kershaw with his injury uh, and his you know allure of texas i think he's coming back somehow some way just don't ask me how that's going to work um you know pool holes if he acknowledges I'll play another year under the same circumstances, maybe he comes back, but that seems unlikely to me. And Chris Taylor's going to make a lot of money because he's shown that he can play the infield and the outfield and hit a home run off the bench and make the all-star team this year. He can do a lot of things. And I just don't know with all the money the Dodgers have, how they're going to be able to afford all of these guys, clearly they're not, but they're going to have to make some very difficult decisions on, you're right, Buster, on an amazing class of free agents. Tim, in the end, my guess is, as we sit here uh, at the end of uh, October, that Kershaw will be back if, in fact, he decides he wants to pitch. Because, I, you know, we talked on the podcast before about how Clayton Kershaw is someone who is going to have a heck of a life after he's done playing baseball and, and he's reached the age where if we got you know word that he was retiring, that wouldn't shock anybody at this point. But if he decides he wants to continue pitching, I think he comes back, and I think they re-sign Chris Taylor, and I think the other guys leave, Tim. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Again, now they have enough money and enough resources to fill in any gap of anyone. But let's say, let's say Kershaw does leave. Let's say Scherzer does leave. Tell me where their starting pitching is after that. I mean, granted – and with Dustin May coming back, although who knows exactly what he's going to be like and when he comes back, I mean, suddenly they're going to have to go out and get some people if they lose all these guys. You can't just fill in with your great farm system, which isn't as great as it used to be with some of the deals. So they have a lot of work to do with the Dodgers. All right. Tell me what uh, you think about the Cardinals hiring of Ali Marmol as their manager. That'll be announced later this morning. Yeah, he's uh, I'm almost twice as old as he is, which makes me really feel kind of old these days, Buster. But he's 35 years old. He is a been the bench coach. He's really highly regarded in that system. I've heard that many times over the last couple of years. And maybe he's going to embrace analytics a little bit more than the previous regime did. And it'll be real interesting to see. I'm a 
I'm a big believer when you start with somebody in the organization that everybody knows that that's a, that's a helpful point. However, if if there was a big difference in, you know, philosophies and then you're bringing in somebody who was with the old coaching staff, are you really changing the philosophies? That's that's when I'm a little bit confused by, but I'm all for this is how it works today. Give a young guy a chance, see what he can do. Ruben Nebla is going to be the next pitching coach of the San Diego Padres. It looks like, I don't know if the deal's actually been signed. Uh, AJ Preller, their general manager, head of baseball ops came out recently and said, well, we won't hire the pitching coach and the other coaches until the manager is hired. And (laughs) it's so Padres that they did this backwards, Tim. Um, But at the same time, this is someone who is highly respected within the industry. And look, if you're pulling guys who are good at evaluating pitching from the Cleveland Indians organization, the Guardians, I should say, at this point, uh, that's a pretty good step. Yes, and I've heard very good things about him also. However, if the Padres are going to indeed go get a veteran manager, just, you know, Bruce Bochy, Ron Washington, Mike Sosha, Buck Showalter, somebody, those guys are going to want their own pitching coach and they should have their own pitching coach, no matter how highly regarded the incumbent is. So you got to be real careful with this when you, I think a manager who has so little power today and so little value compared to when I first started covering, I think he should have a say in who is pitching coach more than any other coach should be. And that might not be the case with the Padres. Yeah. It's certainly mixed messaging. You remember that when Rothschild was fired as pitching coach by the Padres, AJ Preller came out and said, Oh, that was the manager's call. Well, I think the hiring of the pitching coach before the manager was hired tells you how uh, what reality actually is, uh, you know, in this day and age. That's for sure. Where the, the pitching coach seems to be a direct uh, extension of what the front office is. All right, Tim, I will see you out in Houston later today. Okay, Buster. Fly safely. See you soon. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. 
That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Alex Avila played 13 years in the major leagues, compiling 105 career homers, 714 hits, and let the record show votes for the Most Valuable Player Award in 2011. Alex, what are you going to do moving forward? Well, um, that's a work in progress right now. Right now, I'm just uh, uh, enjoying some time at home with the family and, um, you know, did a little uh, uh, broadcasting stuff uh, right after the season there, um, a couple of days before the playoffs. And and uh, that might be something might be looking into uh, going in and, and also been talking with some teams uh, about a potential role. So uh, work in progress, but uh, I plan to do something. I don't, I, uh, I enjoy working. I love the game way too much not to, not to be involved. Well, I can't imagine you out of baseball because you've been part of it your whole <laughs> life. Uh, you know, if someone had asked you early in your career, let's say you're in year two or three, what path you potentially would take, you know, manager, coach, broadcasting, what, what would have been your answer back then, do you think? Well, I, I think back then it for sure would have been manager. Um, as, as I got older and, and kids got older and, um, and over, over the years, having spent not as much time as I would have liked to with them, it, it's kind of changed. I don't know if I would want to manage uh, like at this moment right now. Um, that might be something I would like to do um, uh, later on. But uh, right now, I'm, I feel like I'm, you know, uh, blessed that I'll be able to try to make up for some lost time with uh, with my kids a little bit, uh, you know, but still but still be involved and and. And then maybe as uh, as the years go on, then and maybe look uh, as far as opportunities, maybe to try to get back into coaching and managing. But um, you know, that's probably would have been my answer back then. It's changed a little bit now, but at the same time, there's still that that desire there to 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 do that and be on the field. And I wouldn't really rule anything out, but um, you know, at least uh, in this moment, like today, that's that's kind of what, what I'm thinking. Yeah, and I think one advantage you would have as a catcher is that you are fluent in all the languages that are being spoken in baseball, you know, old school, new school, <laughs> analytics, whatever. You're familiar with all of it, which I, I've told friends who've asked me, you know, people who played in the past and asked, hey, what do you think I should do in terms of, uh, you know, staying in the game? I'm like, you, you got to become fluent in the analytics because that's uh, that's where the sport's going. Yeah, you know, I, growing up uh, in this game, uh, the way I was taught and then the, the time uh, frame that I, that I came up in was very, you know, like you, like you've seen in your career too, you know, very old school mentality, obviously with Detroit, we didn't really have, uh, any type of analytics or analytic department for that matter when, when I was there, but, um, but over my career, you know, I've had to have to make some adjustments with, with how the game has evolved. Um, and, you know, like you said, like, I feel like I've been able to kind of blend both you know, the, that, that gut feel, use your eyes, instincts, um, um, way of playing baseball with, uh, some of the new information and how to apply that to, to game planning, game management, um, is something that I felt like I did pretty well as I made those adjustments. And, um, you know, I think you see a lot of teams kind of trying to make that those types of adjustments as well, where they have, everybody has the information now, so no longer it's an advantage. And where they're going to find that advantage? Well, you know, you know, it's kind of reverting a little bit back to those types of instincts that that were kind of lost for a few years, but uh, people are trying to regain them again. 
All right. I want to ask you about the upcoming World Series, Astros versus the Braves, uh, and get from you a pivot point for each team. In other words, uh, for in order for the Braves to win, this has to happen, or in order for the Astros to win, this has to happen. What do you got? Well, I, I, I think it's pretty much the same, uh, pretty close to the same answer for both, because as I've watched both teams, um, you know, over the course of the playoffs, they, they both have really good offensive teams, like really good offensive profiles. You have one through nine really deep lineups, guys that can can do some damage and not too many holes, if any. And you got two guys that are super hot on each team with Rosario in Atlanta and and uh, Alvarez in, in Houston. And so I think really what it comes down to is the, the, the pitching rotations and the bullpens is, and the catchers, they're being able to execute their game plans and which, which staff is going to blink first, basically. Because you, you have two lineups that can take advantage of mistakes um, and, and create a big inning or the big inning that you need in, in the playoffs. I mean, we all know that those two, three run innings in the playoffs can be backbreakers over the course of a game. And I think that's really what it comes down to. Like, which staff kind of blinks first and, and, and uh, you know, gives the other team the opportunity to be able to push across the, those, the, those extra runs um, over the course of the game. And uh, so there's going to be a tremendous amount of pressure on those guys to make their pitches and execute and, you know, on the, on the catchers as well, to be able to, to navigate through those lineups, because looking at those lineups on paper, there, there, there aren't any holes. I was joking with Tim Kirchin before that I feel like that Freddie Freeman and Jordan Alvarez are twins, you know, <laughs> their relative <laughs> approach at the plate, you know, being able to take the ball the other, other way with power. Uh, what would be your pitching plan against each one of those guys? Well, the thing about Freddie, I mean, facing him quite a bit, obviously this year and, and over the course of our careers, uh, he's always been really good at hitting um, off-speed stuff in the zone. Um, you know, he, he will chase occasionally down and in, like on, on the breaking balls that are, that, are, that are breaking down and in, but there's a real fine line there, um, you know, as far as throwing one for a strike and then throwing one uh, down and in. You got to be real careful in, with, in that aspect because you'll get the swing and miss if you locate it down. But if you leave it up just a pair, uh, he crushes those balls. Um, you know, and obviously he was a little bit up and down um, in the in the championship series, but you can't you you can't not when you look at their lineup, you can't not say no matter whether he's hot or cold. You know, you you, you always have to account that he cannot beat you, and um, that's that's the most important thing. With Alvarez, I never had. Uh, th- you know, I never had uh, uh, to have to really game plan for him. I never actually had to had to face him. Um, so, but actually getting to watch him um, as much as I have over the over the, the playoffs, he's been really impressive. I mean, he's he is a really really good hitter. I mean, I, I've I've known about his power because a lot of people have talked about it, and obviously just watching highlights over the course of the, the last couple of years, uh, you see it. But he is just a really good hitter. He seems like a, a, a good complete hitter. Uh, hits the ball to all fields, um, and I'll be completely honest with you. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the first idea how to get him out because it looks like he hits everything right now. <laughs> Maybe go after he's the kinda, guys bad behind kinda, him. Like, yeah, the way the way he's swinging the bat right now, like there's 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 always a couple guys like throughout my career that when people ask me like who are the toughest guys that you had to like you know try to get out, and I and I always talk about. Um, uh, David Ortiz and Paul Canerco. It was like, it was, it was a nightmare for me to try to figure out how to get those guys out. And, um, 
and Alvarez watching Alvarez hit right now, I would, I would be feeling kind of the same thing. Like I, I'm not really sure what would work and and with the way he's swinging the bat now, because he's, he's, uh, he's pretty locked in. Well, and you saw his, his plate appearances against Chris Sale and, and look, Chris Sale post Tommy John, he's still clearly, uh, you know, still regaining some velocity, still regaining some command, but I can't remember a left-handed hitter having at bats like that against Chris Sale. And you were, you know, that left-handed hitter, you could speak to that. Mm-hmm. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, I, I faced Chris when he first came up and, and Isaac Ian was using him out of the bullpen with the White Sox. And I think I, I managed one hit off of him um, back when, when teams weren't shifting, cause it was a ground ball between first and second. So I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have gotten that hit anymore, but, uh, I did have to face him the last game of the series, uh, the season, and he had no problem striking me out. So, um, you know, he's, uh, he's still Chris sale. And like you said, the bats that he was putting against him were, were, were pretty great. Cause it, I mean, sale was featuring some really good stuff in that game. Um, you know, even though he's just coming off Tommy John. Yeah, it was uh, that. Those were some impressive plate appearances for sure. I want to ask you about a couple other topics that are, will certainly get a lot of attention during the course of the offseason. Uh, one, the question of sticky stuff. Uh, if you were working for the commissioner, if you were, you know, near the in the executive committee with the player association, what advice would you give for how baseball should handle the sticky stuff conversation moving forward? In other words, what uh, we saw, you know, midseason two thousand twenty one where they essentially began to check pitches for that. What, uh, what would you like to see going forward? Yeah, well, uh, you know, they, they've been, you know, talking with a lot of obviously pitchers over the years and being a hitter on the other side, having to face some of these guys. I mean, most guys, if not, you know, a lot of guys that I'm, that I've talked to, like, you know, kind of just want something a little more uniformed. Uh, it seems like rather than, you know, the baseball straight coming out of the box and getting rubbed up because the one thing that does happen quite a bit when you go from stadium to stadium is that there are differences in the balls um, as far as the way they feel, just depending on who kind of rubs them up with the the, uh, um, the, the rubbing mud uh, before games. And so like some pitchers may, may feel like going into one city that the balls are really good and then the next start they make in a different city, it's, it's completely different where, you know, you know, it has them using something to, in order to get a grip. And then, and then obviously a lot of hitters, you know, feel safer sometimes uh, with, with how hard guys are throwing these days and, and with the kind of stuff they're featuring. So kind of the consensus that, that I feel like I'm, you know, seeing and, and heard from a lot of guys is they, you know, just trying to find something a little more uniform to where pitchers don't have to worry about the differences from city to city. And, and the hitters don't have to worry about, you know, facing some pitchers that are kind of loading up and, and it's really, affecting what the ball is doing and or guys going out there without much grip, still throwing 95 plus and, and not really, you know, commanding the, the baseball too well. Um, you know, and over the course of this season, actually, I know MLB was, was kind of going around with, um, with a, a baseball that they were, they were kind of testing out uh, with guys to see if, uh, if it felt right with like a pre-tack on it already, uh, something that, that felt, um, you know, better in a pitcher's hand and, and I guess give hitters a little more confidence that it was going to help them command the ball a little bit. And which I thought that was kind of like in the right direction. I know there's been a lot of talk about the, the, the balls that they use in, in Japan. So, um, and the balls, I actually got to, you know, hold a, a couple of the baseballs that they've been, um, you know, experimenting with. And it seems like in there, they're in the right direction, but I think that's probably the, the biggest thing that I've been hearing from guys, just something a little more uniform. Um, 
you know, rather than, than it be, um, you know, so different, you know, depending on where they are, where they're at and what city they're in and who they're playing against, uh, um, is, is kind of what I've been hearing. Yeah, Alex, I thought during the year, and I wish that the union and, and MLB had a relationship where they could work collaboratively, but as they, you know, we, they came down with the rule to check on sticky stuff, I'm like, geez, I wish the two sides could just agree, put a can of bullfrog on the mound of, of the yeah. sunscreen that, you know, <laughs> in concert, just put it on the mound so everyone knows that it's there. Right. Well, I mean, it, it, it was kind of weird. I mean, obviously, as right after they started checking and, and the, the newness of the fact that a pitcher had to get checked by the umpire and, and, and those rules kind of came into place, kind of wore off as the season went on, you know, and, yeah. and you kind of went unnoticed, but, you know, for players, at least for me with, you know, that, you know, watching this, it was kind of ridiculous because, you know, it just kind of depended on the umpire, you know, especially on, even on the rules on how uh, uh, pitchers can use the rosin on the mound. Like they couldn't put it in the back of their hand. It could only be on the palm of their hand. You know, stuff like that, they had they had to go to that extreme, I guess, in order to um, to try to take out what was, you know, being used to an advantage as far as pitchers. And to me, it just it, it seemed kind of, you know, ticky tack ish, a uh, little. Um, it, it didn't seem like the big leagues for me, I guess, is what I'm saying. It wasn't like Major League Baseball. It, se- it seemed too uh, little league a little bit. Uh, and, you know, it was just. It was just hard to watch sometimes because, you know, you'd have a pitcher, you know, grabbing the rosin in between the pitches or something like that. And he kind of puts it on the back of his hand because he's got sweat running down his arm. And, you know, the umpire comes over, gives him a warning because he can't do that. I was like, it's, it's, he's just using rosin. And so there's got to be something where there's a little, there's a little, little more um, uh, uniform as far as the rules or the ball to where, you know, guys are not, you know, going into the game and not really sure what they can and can't do. Right. Uh, and, and that, that, that's the part that, that was kind of tough over the course of the, the few months, once the rules, the rules went in. Um, but, you know, I, I think they're in the right direction. You know, obviously like, you know, in our sport that we love so much, it's always hard to, to create change and, 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 you know, because, you know, it's so rooted in history and tradition, which is fine, which is one of the beauties about it. But, um, you know, things sometimes take a little longer to evolve in, 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 our, in our game. Yeah. And to your point, I, I watch games. I'm not going to mention the pitchers' names because uh, I don't think it's fair. I think it takes it out of context. But I saw plenty of pitchers that I thought were using probably some form of sunscreen in the second half. But maybe to your point, they just knew, you know, which umpires might be coming down hard and which might not. It was sort of like. Uh, to draw the analogy, if, you know, all of a sudden one day, yes, if you go 56 miles an hour, you are busted and you're in prison. <laughs> right. And then, right, and yeah. then as time went on, it was like, well, you know what, if you go 58, in other words, use a sunscreen or something like that, man, we're not going to really worry about that quite so much. But it was uncertain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, to, to your point there, the fact that we went, you know, as long as we did, um, once those rules were instituted and only one pitcher uh, was caught um, is uh, is pretty ridiculous, I guess, to me. Just from you know having played through the season, um, you know, it, I'm sure I'm pretty sure easily you know more pitchers could have been uh, uh, could have been caught or fined or what have you. Because I think once guys kind of figured out, like you said, which umpires were a little more uh, lenient or didn't check as often, or like they kind of had an idea that you know they checked me this inning, they're not going to check me next inning, you know. That that all that kind of 
there shouldn't be a cat and mouse game like that, I guess is my point. You know, it's like, you know, there needs to be something that gives the, the pitcher and the hitter confidence that, you know, they're on the same playing field and, and not that constant, um, you know, back and forth between the pitcher and hitter as far as like what's, you know, what's allowed, what isn't. And, you know, um, you know, it, it was just a, a strange, uh, you know, couple of months as far as, uh, you know, the, the, the pitcher umpire hitter relationship as far as the, all that sticky stuff stuff. Yeah. And I know this, you know, me as a dopey sports writer, I know if I saw it, everybody saw it. And so, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know I, I, I was just sort of like going along. I see the pitchers, right. But, you know, wipe their, their pitching hand on that same spot uh, on their gloved hand on their form. Like, well, okay. Everybody knows it's kind of going on, but whatever. Uh, I, real, I do, we're, I do. Go ahead. Like, you know, we're, you know, they were kind of monitoring too. And now because we had the technology to monitor spin rates and things like that, Right. You know, that that is a, a pretty good indication as far as you know what you you might see as far as um you know how how it affects uh, a pitcher's performance um you know so you know still continuing to do that i think is is probably a um a smart play uh just to you know make sure guys are are staying within their limits and um you know but also still not you know trying to figure out a way to not penalize guys that actually do improve naturally um, because of their mechanics and, th- and, and, and their, and their work, e- work, ethic, work ethic over the course of their careers as well. Yeah. Like Lucas Giolito going, you know, more with a short arm delivery, you know, clearly got better, you know, increases spin, enhance the spin rate with that. Um, right. real quick before we go, what do you think of, of, of the opener strategy? Cause it's something that's going to generate a lot of conversation. The winner, I do think they're going to be rules put in place that'll begin to move the sport away from the opener strategy. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I was never keen on it. Um, I didn't really like it, uh, just cause I've always been a big believer that you, you know, in order to get to the playoffs and win in the playoffs, you need, you need your horses, you need your starters, uh, to come through. And I mean, I feel like that's shown obviously in, in these playoffs as well as, as long as, as well as with other, uh, playoffs and world series as well, where if you have those guys at the front end of your rotation that are, that can go out there and and pitch deep into games, it's huge for not only, not only for your offense, but it's huge for your bullpen. It keeps those guys fresher. Um, but so the, the opener to me, like I know there's times where it's necessary. You need to start a bullpen guy and you need to have a bullpen game. But when, when most teams, because most teams now have, have at least over the course of the year have started implementing that more when, the, when most teams are starting to do that, there's just not enough pitchers to go around when you're using guys, you know, in that, in that capacity. So you're going to see so many more injuries. You're going to see, um, you know, obviously there's a financial impact uh, for players as well. Guys being used in that situation, less starters, um, you know, going into arbitration and going into free agency. There's a, there's a huge financial impact there. Um, uh, but from a health perspective as well, it, it, it's, uh, it, it'd be for me, I think it's harder to get through uh, an entire season and then, for a team that has playoff aspirations and world series aspirations harder to achieve that goal. If you're relying on that heavily, because you need, you need that guy going into that sixth, seventh, eighth inning. It's just, it, I mean, it, it's, it's hasn't been more evident than in these playoffs when you're watching these games, you know, when you have that guy that's able to go out there and do that um, it's been huge for those teams. I mean, Houston, when they got, you know, the start from Valdez and Garcia against Boston. I mean, that was huge for them knowing that they were short when, when the colors went down. Um, you know, it, 
you know, with and with Atlanta, with Charlie Morton and Max Fried doing what they're doing. I mean, those guys are 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 putting those teams in their back basically, as far as 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 I'm concerned, as far as being able to go out there and put those innings up. And uh, so, I mean, I hope there there is something um, that kind of curtails it a little bit because I think it would be better for the game that you know to bring back the starting pitcher, that 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 guy that you need to go six, seven, eight innings. And start to train guys like that as well, um, because we've gotten away from that, obviously. Yeah, and I think that uh, whenever they do put in the rules to go against the the opener, I think they'll try to do it gradually with the rule changes to give teams a chance and organizations a chance to react and retrain pitchers starting down in the minors. All right, Alex, thanks for doing this. I always learn something when I talk to you. All right, love talking to you, Buster, and uh, have a good one. I appreciate it. Bleacher Tweets. All right, Buster, Bleacher tweets for a Monday. And I have to give a quick shout out to our guy, Ryan Matlack, for that uh, strikeout compilation. Uh, he's been doing a great job putting all the highlights and game sound together. But uh, the compilation you heard at the top of the show was great. So I wanted to give him some recognition there. Uh, let's go to the tweets. Corey Rukert at Corey R underscore 12 writes in the Padres looking to add a pitching coach before a manager. I know the Indians have a long track record for pitching excellence, but how do you feel about the staff being hired for the manager? Yeah. Before the, yeah, I, I, I look, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, <laughs> I especially I, you know, I put the Padres in the same category as the Mets. I don't understand why the Padres are doing it this way. Um, but at the same time, it's not a surprise. As I said to Tim, it feels like the pitching coach is a direct extension of the front office these days. And that has changed. It's not like you have a chain of command, uh, distinct chain of command where, you know, the, the general manager is answered to by the manager and the pitching coach answers to the to the manager. That's not really how it works these days. Interesting insight. Let's go to Phil Gordon at Earl of Surrey Hill. Phil writes in the Yankees ran the bases like a 260 pound bison in 2021. That's even a, a small bison there, except for Wade and Gardner. Uh, should they look to sign Chris Taylor? Speed, good bat, flexible, above average defensive player. Seems like a perfect fit. Postseason experience could help him handle New York pressure. Yeah, Taylor, uh, that, that's a great point. Uh, if it's a 260-pound bison, that is a fast bison. Yes. Because that means it's got young legs. It means it's probably less than a year old. Uh, that that would be an extremely fast bison. <laughs> Taylor is a great fit for just about any team, uh, and he would make sense for the Yankees. And I would say this, and watching him play, you know how intense he is. He kind of reminds me of Paul O'Neill. Um, and, you know, the, the, the Yankees position of Paul O'Neill always was, look, he puts more pressure on himself than whatever fans are going to do. Uh, you know, he's not going to care about the booing because he's in his own head anyway. And I get the feeling that's how Chris Taylor is. Like the person who drives Chris Taylor on a daily basis, not some dopey sports writer writing a column. It's not the, a fan yelling at him. It's not the manager. It's not the front office. Chris Taylor just absolutely pushes himself. Buster, it's time to play our favorite game. We're going to second guess the manager, Nicholas Aya Caruso at Aya Caruso. Nick 19 writes in Matzik strikes out the side with runners on second and third, and the Braves were inexplicably about to pinch hit for him in the seventh. Considering how dominant he was all series, that's a gift to the Dodgers. If I'm Dave Roberts, I walk D'Arno, let Snitker take out Matzik and give my team a chance to actually score against anybody else in the eighth. Thoughts on that strategy? Yeah, that would have been really progressive to put a runner on base in that situation. But you're right. Matzik was absolutely dealing. I will say my biggest question about the Braves, 
and watching some of the, their relievers uh, during the course of this postseason, will they have enough depth? You know, will they have enough guys who are in the circle of trust to get all the way through? Last little uh, bit of conversation for the day. Uh, Debbie Gammons Brown wrote in, Buster, your predictions are jinxtastic. That's it. That's the tweet. P.K. Steinberg chimed in. It's truly the uncanniest of losing streaks. Schwinkian, in fact, and uh, DGB and P.K. agree. Schwinkian and jinxtastic would be entered into the Bleacher Tweet Dictionary. Um, any thoughts on this exchange? Yeah. So first off, I got the Braves right. I might have gotten the Red Sox wrong, which, you know, for Debbie, that's what matters. The fact that I picked the Red Sox and they got knocked out. So she thinks the, you know, I'm, I've jinxed everybody. I didn't jinx the Braves this time. The Schwanky end thing makes more sense. Because yes. how many weeks since you won on the on the uh, weekly quiz? As my friend Instained would say, it's been a while. Yeah, I don't know the last time I won. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. That well, that's it for today. My thanks to Tim, to Alex Avila, and to Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.